Software as a medical device, also referred to as SAMD, is one of the fastest growing innovations in the medical device industry. As with any technology that experiences rapid adoption, challenges related to IP protection often follow. In this series, we're taking a closer look at IP considerations that SAMD developers should be aware of. Today, we'll explore the impact of open source on the SAMD industry and considerations for obtaining either a patent or trade secret. Finnegan attorneys Sean Damon and Beth Farrell join us now. Beth, what is software as a medical device? The FDA defines software as a medical device as software that's intended to be used for one or more medical purposes that performs these purposes without being part of a hardware medical device. I think it's important to note that the FDA's definition is very closely tied to the type of software that the FDA plans to regulate as a medical device. Some examples that they give include treatment planning software or software that's actually monitoring a patient's medical condition. The FDA does not consider and does not plan to regulate other types of software such as embedded software or firmware that's actually used to drive or control a medical device. Some of those might include software that's used to regulate the amount of electricity that's used in a defibrillator, for example. The FDA also does not consider software that it plans to regulate to include the types of software that perform administrative functions, such as encrypting data for transmission or for administering electronic patient records. That being said, in this podcast series, we plan to take a little bit broader definition of software as a medical device because we think it's important for those who are involved in this area to understand the IP issues that may impact the space regardless of whether or not they fall strictly within the FDA's plans to regulate. Sean, open source is a critical component in the development of innovative technology. How does it apply to SAMD? Software is built in layers and it's often the case when you are developing software, particularly software as a medical device, You do not want to recreate the wheel and rewrite software for those layers like the operating system or application programming interface, often referred to as API, that are not core to the technology. So, for example, if your core technology utilizes a camera or needs a timer to conduct a reading, you're not rewriting the software to take the picture or to create the countdown timer. You will rely on the API functionality already present, for example, in an iPhone, to provide the developers with access to those common core technologies. Open source software is software with typically a copyright license that includes the right to view and alter the source code and to distribute derivative works. Generally, open source software is also available free of charge. So there are many different types of licenses. Some are highly permissive licenses, such as MIT and the BSD license. And those impose very few, if any, restrictions on the legal use of the software to more restrictive licenses, such as the LGPL and the GPL licenses, which force developers and companies to release their software under similar licenses or the same license, and this applies to derivative works as well. And these typically stipulate that the capability for the user is that they must allow modifying or upgrading the library without any added undue substitution. And because some open source software has vast support in the software community, it is often directed to solving a problem that has been well understood for ages. So it's rare to have a problem that another has not discovered, fixed, or is working to resolve. 
So in a technology space like software as a medical device, where rapid adoption and competition is taking place, it's often a choice of developers to use open source software to solve mainstream problems, allowing the software medical device developers to focus on their core technology, for example, enabling the medical device to take a reading. And what are some of the challenges that arise as organizations try to license products utilizing open source? So generally speaking, organizations that are adopting open source software from outside this company now have to deal with many new sources for that software, and that's both commercial and non-commercial suppliers. So the number of software sources could grow exponentially greater than what the company is used to dealing with. And then integration of a large number of third-party components can also create complexity. You know, one area of complexity is consistency across multiple interdependent stacks of code. You know, that is, you've downloaded three different open source projects. Those open source projects are increasing in version number, and you have to maintain compatibility between the three different software items you've incorporated. Typically, this is easier to track when the software is internal because you can easily identify and maintain what versions of software that you're using. But when you grab software from various entities, it can add complexity to the situation. Third parties here can either be software developed by the open source community directly, and that is acquired from a source such as GitHub, or by a contractor who themselves acquire open source software. And this is a situation where a company has contracted with a software company to write code, and that software company has written code for them, but then has also utilized open source software that was not developed in-house. With the abundance of open source software components, it drives a higher volume of third-party software acquisition decisions. So who in the organization is making the acquisition decisions? Is it the developers, the business unit, or the lawyers? Many developers are not qualified to consider all of the necessary aspects, including software license analysis, but a heavyweight process like the old procurement approach is also too expensive and time-consuming, and often the business and lawyers do not have the knowledge that the developers have in terms of the technology space. So here, another consideration generally that you have to take into account is how do you maintain which open source components are coming into the company. More specifically now, how does it apply to software as a medical device? Since many people have access to the source code, it can make it susceptible to vulnerabilities as not everyone dealing with the code has the best intentions. While most open source contributors use their access to spot defects and fix them, there are those who can exploit this access to create vulnerabilities and introduce bugs to pollute the hardware and sometimes even steal identities. And addressing these potential vulnerabilities in software as a medical device is a high priority in the field. In 2017, the FDA spoke for the first time at DEF CON, which is a conference dedicated to hackers trying to expose vulnerabilities and report them to the respective companies so that they can fix those vulnerabilities. When developing medical devices, and software as a medical device. There are many regulations and guidelines that must be followed, and these are often interpreted as incompatible with many of the open source software licenses that exist today. One such concern that comes up is that many of the open source software licenses require that you must either enable the user to alter or recompile the library or to swap out the library in its entirety for a newer version. And we're probably all familiar with the story of the late hacker Barnaby Jack, who demonstrated he could hack his own insulin pump 
to potentially give a lethal dose of insulin in 2011. Worse yet, many devices are connected to the Internet or a hospital network without passwords or encryption. And the threat is exaggerated when the software that is being used is freely available for inspection by the public. As mentioned earlier, not everyone had the best intentions. So cybersecurity becomes a huge risk with open source software, particularly in software as a medical device. And finally, Beth, one decision facing SAMD developers is whether to go the patent or trade secret route. What should they be considering to make the best decision? Well, if the patent route is an option, meaning that you have considered all of your open source issues, it's important to understand that there's sort of two ends of the spectrum here. On the one end, we have getting IP protection, which would go in the form of a patent or perhaps a copyright on your source code, whereas the other end of the spectrum would be keeping the information secret in the form of a trade secret. As most people are aware, patents give you a right to exclude others from practicing the patented invention for a limited period of time, whereas trade secrets are indefinite. And if the information derives economic economic value from being confidential, and if it's subject to reasonable efforts to maintain its secrecy, then it is possible to maintain the trade secret indefinitely. All of these types of IP protection can be enforced in federal courts, so from that perspective, they're fairly balanced. And it's also possible for patents and trade secrets to coexist. Some may be familiar with Pfizer's Premarin product, which had a series of patents when the drug first issued in the 1940s, but those have long since expired. You may wonder, why is there still no generic version of this drug? It's because Pfizer maintained the extraction process for the drug as a trade secret, and no other company could figure out how to reverse engineer it. When thinking about the type of protection, how do you balance a patent versus a trade secret. There's some important questions to consider, such as, is the invention patent eligible? If it's not patent eligible, then it's possible that you may actually disclose most of your ideas in your patent application, but not actually be able to get the patent. You also need to ask if the invention is potentially an obvious improvement over something that's already been patented. Again, you may disclose your ideas and not be able to get a patent. Is the useful life of this particular invention beyond 20 years? If so, then maybe a trade secret is the right route. If the technology is detectable or reverse engineerable, then even if you maintain it as a trade secret, there might be no recovery if another party is able to reverse engineer your idea. Reverse engineering it is not a violation of a company's trade secret. And then you also have to take a look at your company. Do you have difficulty in maintaining the necessary structure to keep something a trade secret? For example, is the innovation developed by a third party on your behalf, or do you have a particularly high employee turnover rate? In both of those situations, it may make sense to get a patent. However, not everyone's budget allows for patenting. Trade secrets may be less expensive incrementally once you set up the structure necessary to keep those secrets. Do you need to leverage the invention in order to get some sort of funding? If that's the case, then you may want to consider a patent. And finally, maybe the appropriate thing is to do a hybrid approach. Perhaps you need to keep 
the algorithm as a trade secret, but actually patent the actual device. There are companies that have done this, and this is an example of what Pfizer did in the Premarin case, where they are able to use both types of IP to get themselves exactly the type of coverage that they would like. Our guests have been Sean Damon and Beth Farrell, attorneys at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.